What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, UFC 287 is still paying dividends for old Uncle Chael because I got a lot to talk about on today's show. Israel Adesanya's coach Eugene Berriman has spoken up about Izzy's next fight and I got a lot to say about it. Plus, Gilbert Burns accused George Masvidal of cheating and we've got a big main event this weekend in Kansas City. But before we get to all of that, we got some big news for everyone. Alright guys, let me break down a mathematical equation for you that is basically scientific, okay? It goes like this, Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz on August 5th in boxing out of Dallas equals Francis Ngannou unemployed. Do you guys see that? Each day that's going by, it's getting weirder and weirder. It's not getting more and more exciting. It's it's getting weirder and weirder. We had very strong belief. It was even supported with an organic family photo. I want to say it was Thanksgiving, but there was like this family video of Francis and, and company, his aunts and uncles and grandmother and his family. And one of them was wearing a PFL shirt. So then this was like a conspiracy theory and Errol asked him about it. And he said, man, I, I actually don't even know where she got the shirt and no, that was not giving us a message. Fair enough, fair enough, I'm, but I'm just sharing with you. We, we do know, based on what Francis has told us, that he wants an opportunity. He doesn't have to have this, this guarantee. He wants an opportunity, much like the boxing model or what you guys are told and believe is the boxing model where you've got this pay-per-view and you got this great participation. Okay, fine, fair enough. But that would just show us that the PFL is a very likely suitor because the PFL made an announcement in conjunction with Jake Paul that they were going to make an investment into the pay-per-view space. Now rumors started to get very strong about Jake and Francis teaming up, not fighting each other, just teaming up, fighting on the same card. Jake wants to make money. He thinks Francis can bring us some attention. Francis would like to make money. He thinks that Jake can bring us some attention. This is the kind of gamble that they're willing to take, and they're going to go and do this together. This was a story. It's a very believable one, by the way. Now, at the same time that all this was going on, there was still a possibility of Tyson Fury versus Francis. Somewhere in there, Deontay Wilder pops his little cowardly head up. I heard Deontay's looking for me. He doesn't he like that I called him a coward. So, so now I'm not going to stop. Come find me, Deontay. Pops his little cowardly head up, says that he's a free agent. Making believe that he and Francis are going to go do some business together. Now, I've tried to tell you guys, a free agent is not a good place to be. That's a man without a country. Other promoters don't look at you and think that's great that you worked out a contract or you didn't re-sign with one of their fellow competitors. They look at you as somebody they can't trust. I'm just sharing this with you. Those guys don't like it, but I'm sharing with you one of the holdups. You don't want to work with any free agent. 
No intelligent promoter, and there's not a lot of intelligent one out there. That, that, that's the good news for it. But no intelligent promoter is going to go work with two free agents. You're going to wonder, why are you free? Where is your loyalty? Now, hold that thought. Because Tyson Fury looks to be going in any direction other than with Francis. So it looks like that's dried up. And that was that was only a slight possibility anyway, right? They were going to go make up a game and have a sport. But they had this whole thing, and they did have each other. And as long as they teamed up, they had something. But whatever the friendship or whatever the loyalty was, apparently it wasn't felt very strong because Tyson has gone in a totally different direction. No promoter, and they were all offered it, Francis and Fury uh, and Wilder. No promoter touched that. That, that didn't even that didn't get any type of headlines whatsoever. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. I'm not picking on somebody here. I'm just laying this out for you because we still have Jake Paul. So Jake Paul announcing that he's going to box Nate Diaz takes whatever MMA plans Jake has and it kicks them in a best case scenario to the end of 2023. That is a light year away for Francis, who used to be champion and is on the injury list. There's no athlete anywhere whose value goes up when they, their only commodity they have, themselves is injured. Right? It's, a, it's a big deal. You got to come back. You got to show the scouts. You got to show the fans. You got to show the world. I'm okay. I'm healed. I'm better. I'm bionic. So you've got this weird process going on where time is against you. Now, Dave Feldman came out and talked about this. Dave Feldman over at Bare Knuckles said, look, we, we called and talked to Francis. He was very candid. He said, we, we, he said, it's unrealistic. The money he's asking for is unrealistic. We're out. Dana is so frustrated that he says, there's not an open door over here. All the offers we've made are gone. We're not doing business with the guy. Now, these things can be worked out. But I'm sharing for you, as the boxing and the game and whatever those two were going to do, whatever they were going to do, and I don't feel good for Francis here, right? Somewhere Tyson must have felt, I don't have a friend and a partner here. Something got weird. Because they did bring Francis over. They did get him into the ring. They did bring him out in front of 93,000 live in a worldwide audience and say that they were going to do something. That is, that, that we don't even hear those talks anymore. So when you hear that Jake and Nate are going to box, and by the way, isn't it, isn't it a little bit disappointing? The, the Floyd Mayweather approach of an announcement competition five weeks. No boxers do that. that. That was a Floyd approach. I've got to give him the credit for that. But even when it was Floyd and Manny, they announced it five and a half weeks before they were going to get in the ring. They were already deep into training camp before they let us, the audience, know. And that was fun, right? You guys might remember back in February, Jake Paul announced he was going to box Tommy Fury. Somewhere in February, he announced that. They did the fight in February. So, somewhere within the same month, they made the announcement and they did the fight. That was fun, right? That We liked that. And now it's in August. I, there's nothing to talk about at this point. I mean, that That is forever away. I'm not bagging. I'm sharing with you. If you're wondering why I'm not talking about it, there's nothing to talk about. It's forever away. The only, the only thing that you have by this announcement being made is that Jake Paul is not going to the PFL. He is not going in MMA. He is not activating the pay-per-view arm. And the Jake Paul Francis team doesn't exist. 
And you start to look around. You start, what are we doing here? What are we doing and who do we plan to do it with? It's an interesting spot. Because you got to really understand this, right? It was a surprise to me to find out that Deontay Wilder had that little stroke. I mean, that surprised me. He, he became a free agent. Go get some cameras and a network and a, and a partner. Like, this isn't rocket science. But he didn't know how to do any of those things. So he just was like, hey, I'm available if you want to tag me in. And it, but it also surprised me with Tyson Fury. This guy that's been around this second-generation guy. His pops knows people. They can't do anything unless somebody with a checkbook comes in and steers them in a direction. That just surprised me. I'm, I'm not bagging on that, I, but I'm just telling you there's different ways to do things. Do you think that there's a promoter out there that went and grabbed Jake Paul and Nate Diaz? They had the opportunity to get Francis versus Deontay. According to Francis and Deontay, they had the opportunity, but they passed on that and they went over here. Does that surprise you? Do you think that Jake and Nate is a bigger fight? Do you think they made the right move? Okay, well, now let me explain for you. That didn't happen. Jake Paul went and rented a venue, found an opponent, put some money away, got a date, and eventually is going to be putting a production crew together. This, this isn't rocket science. You've got to have some money or you've got to have some connections, but I'm talking about world champions here. I'm talking about Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. They don't have the money and the connections to do it? No, apparently not. No. They are going to sit there until somebody calls on them. And MVP is in a very interesting position. Like, I, I really do think the idea of Paul and Francis on the same card, like, I see something there. I don't know what that is, but I, I feel as though there's something there. A great talk was Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz versus Logan and Jake on the same night. Like, I don't fully know what you do with that, but there's something there. Can, can, can we agree to that terminology? But I can't imagine that Francis got his hat in his hand or, or he's called Deontay up and they're going to jump on the horn and go to MVP and ask to be a co-main event. Like, I just, I don't think that these things are going to happen. I'm not sure that those two know how this works. They've never had to do it. It's never been that way. They've had a coach. they got a driver. The coach tells them, you eat this, you drink that, you come here at this time, hit this bag, jump this rope. It, it, it seems to be one of these things, but the, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. You've got world champions that are free agents, whatever that means. You've got these world champions. They're unemployed. You have a guy new to the boxing world who's been greatly resisted by the boxing world. We're going to take on another guy that didn't even have a boxing license and he's never done it before. And they're apparently going to go play Cowboy Stadium. And that sounds right to me. I think it's going to be a big deal. It's a different approach. It's a different mindset. But if you heard that it's going to be Jake versus Nate and you got in, oh, there's a southpaw here and he's going to be training over here. And if, if you got into any of that stuff, then you missed the real story. And the story is Jake, PFL, MMA, and a possibility of Francis Ngannou no longer apparently exists. Pierre is going 205. Now, I told you guys right after he lost to Izzy, I told you that I spoke to somebody that knows him very well. And they just told me, look, he's going to go to 205. And I said, well, you know, this is kind of heated. And we got, you know, we had the piece of theater between Izzy and the, the son and a little bit of back and forth here. Are you, are you sure about that? And he goes, well, you got to understand how Pierre's mind works. To Pierre wants to do new things. He wants to win new things. So if you offer him a chance to fight Izzy, 
First, you're offering him a chance to be a 185-pound champion. He's already done that. Second, you're offering him a chance to beat Israel Adesanya. He's already done that. So the way that his mind works, he will go to 205 and try to do and beat people that he has not yet done and beaten. I only go back to, because when it got announced that in fact he was going to 205, the person that told me that quickly came back to me and said, told you. Piera does, to me, appear to be one of the more interesting characters in the sport. And you don't get it right from him. He's not the same interview guy. He's not the same show up to a press conference guy. He's not the same, hey, let me learn to be bilingual so that I can communicate and market myself effectively. But he still succeeds at being very interesting. There's just things that he does that are compelling. And when he announced that he's going to go to 205 pounds, he did shore up a few thoughts, a few questions that I had. By example, he said, if I stayed at 185, I am confident I could get an immediate rematch with Adesanya. That's a big deal to me. That's one of the things that I wondered when he said he was going to 205. Did he think he could not get, he was going to have to be a contender and start this whole process again? He says, no, I think I could get it. And he said, I'm, I'm not thrilled with Adesanya's behavior. He had a lifelong goal to get a win over me, but he's acting as though he's three and I'm the one. He's forgetting that I'm the three and he's the one. But he could have just been excited. This is Pierre talking. He could have just been excited. So I'm going to monitor and watch his behavior moving forward. I thought that was a powerful line. I mean, that's a threat. That is a straight threat. I am going to watch and monitor his behavior. He then furthered this thought to say, I'm not going to 205 because I can't make 185. I can make 185. There's just nothing there left for me. So when you when you couple that together, he believes he can get the fight. He can make the weight. And then he says he's going to monitor his behavior. That's a threat. And that's interesting. That's interesting to me, Right? So now we got Pierre going to 205. Guess what happened? Jan Blahovic said to Piera, I'll be your first opponent. And I thought that was also very interesting. Because Piera is going to have to have a very meaningful match. Very meaningful. Likely a feature match on a pay-per-view. Likely. Can he go right into a title fight? Well, at a division where the champion has not created anything for himself, right? Jamal Hill's got nothing going with anybody. It's not as though Pierre is going to come up and be the one to get something out of him. I mean, he, he he's as dry as a, a turd in a punch bowl, right? I mean, there's nothing interesting out of either one of those guys. And I, I don't say it to be a jerk. It's just a reality that a promoter could come in and put them together. I think that fight would make sense. You're just going to have a tough sell of how do you put a guy that you just woke up. You woke a guy up and informed him he can change divisions and fight for your strap, which, by the way, if that fight was announced, he would also be the favorite. The guy that's never been in the division that was just sound asleep on television got woken up with some smelling salts and then informed, here's a contract, you're going to be world champion again. It's weird, right? It's weird. So you're probably going to go into a contender's match. And the contenders match, what, a former champion? Not to mention, I really like what Blahovich is doing. He's looking a bit thirsty. I understand that. But he also went very quiet, and now he's jumping on every opportunity that he sees. And he offered, I'm talking about Blahovich, four days ago to drop down to 185 pounds and do a rematch with Adesanya, a guy he beat, the last guy to beat, is he? That's interesting. 
That's very, very interesting. It also is a sign of desperation that I can't get what I want at 205. Now, all of a sudden, four days later, Pierre announces he's coming up and Blahovich welcomes him. I, I get where it makes him look thirsty. Go back to that term. But I hope that you also get that this is what you do when you want an opportunity. You fight for it. You suggest it. You try to get people behind it. You try to get the guy that you're offering to welcome to be excited, to be interested in that. And that is a very compelling matchup. Pierre versus Jan. Very interesting X's and O's. Jan's got that incredible power. Pierre is probably the most skilled guy from a technical standpoint. And then one thing that Jan did show us that he's got wrestling when he needs. I mean, I'm just saying that's an interesting match. Not to mention, I don't think that Piera, there wouldn't be a huge problem if Piera was just to go to 205 and go right against Hill. That wouldn't be a, a huge problem. There, you got some explaining to do, but it could definitely be done. I just share for you that Piera is likely no more than one win away from being in that main event title fight with whoever happens to have the belt at that time. And then particularly if he's to beat a former world champion like Blahovich, I just think it solves a lot of problems. I would like to see Jan get something that he goes for. This is a former world champion who is all but forgotten. He has finally found a voice. I like that a lot. I want him to, to, to get one of these things that he's calling for. I think he called for something very hard. I think he called for something very realistic. I think he called for something that would have significance and meaning on the back end. But that's the latest with Piera. He's made it real clear. Real clear that he's going up, but he's going to keep watching Izzy. He's going to monitor his behaviors. Just a beautiful, very, that was a very powerful threat. Very subtle. And I think it opens the door for Izzy to get on with his life, which to me still looks like Duplices. Summer is around the corner, and I have found my stride when it comes to my workout routine. Lately, guys, I've been going to a local gym to switch it up a little bit, and FitBod has helped me to keep my workouts fresh and interesting. I'm seeing some really good progress, and I gotta tell you, I'm pretty proud of myself. In this day and age, everything is automatic. Why not your fitness plan too? Let FitBod do all the thinking and the planning. You just have to follow along. FitBot is here to eliminate your excuses and to help you get into the routine that your body needs. The FitBot app creates a workout program that's personalized to your goals, fitness level, and available equipment. It learns from your previous workouts and adapts as you improve. It really is like having your own personal trainer. It doesn't matter if you work out in a weight room or in your living room. FitBod has you covered. Learn new movements the right way with over 1,400 demonstration videos all on the app. A full year of FitBod is less cost than a single session with a personal trainer, and that is a deal if you ask me. Guys, there is no better time to level up your fitness habit. Try FitBod today. Get 25% off your subscription and try the app free at fitbod.me slash that's FitBod, F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Chase. So guys, I, I want to point something out for you. It, it's right in front of your face. I'm going to make an observation because I've identified it and I want to make sure you have. Now, you have two guys attempting to do the same thing with different approaches. Hear me out. Leon Edwards is supposed to fight Colby Covington. That is the number one contender. That is the next match. That is who the president said he is looking 
to book. Leon doesn't want to do that. Leon came out and said, I don't want to do that. He even said what his reasons were. But he didn't have another idea. That's the problem. You'll see people that do this all the time in life. They will drive you crazy. You you won't want to be around these people. You'll see politicians where somebody else puts an idea together. They bring it forward and the politician just tells you what's wrong with your idea, but they don't have any of their own. It's a very frustrating thing. If you ever want to say no to something and you want to be respected and liked, offer a suggestion. Now, Leon's going to end up fighting Colby. Leon had had his say. He had his media. He had his interviews. He said his piece. He didn't offer a remedy. Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya very clearly must fight Piera again. It would be a true trilogy fight. Second fight wasn't asked for. You guys didn't demanded. It didn't have to be now. Coach Eugene Berryman himself said, I would like some more time. So hold that thought because it still happened. Now now think about a whirlwind where you're one apiece, you're going into a true trilogy fight. You now have the heckle of the child and you have Pierre, the former champion, coming out saying, give me my shot the same as I just gave to you, right? It gets very interesting. You would see where you would need to do it again. Izzy doesn't want to do it again, just like Leon. But Izzy didn't say no. He offered another suggestion. Izzy offered Duplices instead. So now there's an entire narrative. There's all sorts of people, myself included, with bullhorns that are screaming Duplices versus Adesanya. We're not talking about Piera. Now, that could start up. Piera could come out. He could make his argument. He could make his twist. Listen, I've heard from Piera. Piera actually weighed in on Izzy giving the receipt to the kid. Piera handled it like a true gentleman. He did not like it, but he didn't put him down. He didn't name call him. He said, if I was in his spot, I would not have done that. It was a very mature and measured response. Within that response, nowhere did he say, we'll see who goes stiff next time. My son will have the final say. We're going to do this again. I will see you in five months. Like nothing, that did not happen. So I don't imagine that Pierre is going to wake up tomorrow and then decide that he wants the rematch. I think he's going to let it go. And if he lets it go, then you only have... The crowd left that's talking about Duplices and Izzy, a fight we never would have made, we never would have put together, we never even would have thought to put together. We never even would have thought to look to the number six guy. Never, if it wasn't for Adesanya offering it as a suggestion. I just want to make sure that you you, you see and that you understand the difference. Nobody in this sport, ever, and Conor McGregor, has had plenty of power and plenty of say over his career. But even Connor is number two to Izzy. Nobody in this sport has picked his own opponents and controlled his own career like Adesanya. Izzy is batting 100%. Not one time has he gone for somebody and not face him. He brought Yoel Romero in off of a loss. North of 40 and coming off a loss. And Izzy... Got him in there in a world title fight. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm just suggesting for you, he is now telling us that it's Duplessis, but there is a meaningful difference. Why does Izzy get to call these shots? Why does Leon not? I actually got asked this. I got asked this by Errol Hawani yesterday. He said that to me. He said, hey, hey, that isn't fair. How can Izzy not have to fight Pierre again? How can Izzy not have to fight Whitaker, who's standing right there waiting for him? How can he go all the way down to number six? If the champion gets to pick his fights, then Leon's the champion, and he's picking his fight to not be Colby. Well, I can answer that question, and I answered it for Ariel. One offered a suggestion and a remedy. The other did not. Leon said nice things about Blahal, but he didn't challenge him. Leon said nice things about Masvidal and Burns, but he didn't say, I am looking to take on the winner. He just, he didn't go that far. He could have told us that that eye poke has pissed him off. He could have told us that he was beating Blahal. That Blahal did it on purpose. Did it on purpose to get out of a fight that he was losing. There's a number of things that he could have done to make that very interesting. He did none of them. He said nice things about Law, but he did not put him over. He did not annoy him, and he did not say he should be next. It's very, very different. It's a very, very different approach. I was surprised that Ariel did not see that. Ariel was bothered. He was very bothered that Gilbert Burns is calling for the backup spot. Because what Errol says he foresees happening is that this catches on through our sport and now we have guys pining for and positioning themselves to be backup. I don't agree with Ariel. Now, that's not something that we have a crystal ball and we know who's right. It's an experiment. As I close my eyes and envision what would happen if we do in fact go down that road, I like it. I like a backup position. I always have. I think it's coveted. I think the marketing department has it wrong to ignore it completely. I don't, I, I don't get that. To have Vincent Luque as a backup fighter, but we never we never find out. They never tell us. He walks through the curtain in Madison Square Garden the day before between 9 and 11 a.m. and gets on a scale. I think it's a miss. I don't say it to put anyone down. I say that to strengthen the point when I tell you I like it. I like it for now. But Errol did not. He doesn't like when we go down that road. And I will tell you what. As a fight community, we do do that. There are themes that come out, and by God, everybody's got to do them. Like the last time a fighter's had an autonomous idea, I mean, I got to go back to the Clinton administration. It's one of these situations where somebody will do Somebody shows up to a press conference wearing a suit. They're all wearing suits after that. Somebody shows up to a press conference wearing sunglasses. They're all wearing sunglasses after that. Somebody comes out and uses some foul language. The next guy is going to use that. But then we're going to have to keep it for a while. Do you guys remember when we lived through the era of the money fight? The money fight for sure was the most dull era of MMA. It was the worst. When we would go to guys in the ring after a contest and ask them who they want next, and they would tell us they want the money fight. When they would go to the media and it's time to talk about who's next, who's positioning, who's earned it, they want the money fight. Everybody started saying that. Now, of course, there is no such thing. Of course, there is no such bylaw. There is no such clause, and there is no such definition. That was the problem. We didn't know what they were talking about. We never knew what they were talking about. And this lasted eight months. Eight months in this sport, we had to live the money fight. So I get what Ariel's saying, right? Like if, if we go down this road, it's not going to stop. I happen to like that road. I happen to like it. And I don't think that Gilbert Burns said, I want to be the backup fighter. I believe he said, I'm next. 
to solidify and to prove that he's next, even come hook or crook, even come an accident, even come short notice. I don't need a contract. I don't need a full training camp. I don't need any of that. I will be ready, but I'm next. Whatever happens, somebody fails their eye exam, their blood work, doesn't get paperwork in, whatever it is, I am next. I will be there for the backup fighter, whether you need me tomorrow or you need me an hour before the fight. And then I will be there for the winner, whenever that is. Whether it's the next week, next month, or next year. I got Gilbert's point. I liked it. Is it the road we want to go down? Is Errol seeing the future? Maybe seeing it a little bit better than me? Eh, time will tell. Time will tell. I will just tell you. There's two different approaches to saying yes and to saying no. Leon didn't do it the same as Izzy did. And I like the backup spot. I still do. And I'm proud of Gilbert for going after it. unpack this real fast. Gilbert Burns has taken to social media to give an apology to George Mosvall. Do you guys know what that's about? Without me saying anything else, do you know what this is about? Okay. So, those guys get done fighting. Gilbert goes to the post-fight press conference. And, you know, you're not yourself in those moments. You're high. Right? You are high. Everything's great. Whatever you say, you think other people are going to like. They're going to turn. It's going to be funny. It's, it's one of these moments where just everything is wonderful. And I only say that because Gilbert's not trying to take it back. Sure, you can take it back. Of course you can. We wouldn't expect you to, to be at your best in that moment, but should he take it back? And I'm talking about he claimed, Gilbert claimed, George Mosvall had cheated for the fight. And he said that he was greased. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't get anything. My hands, I'm slipping right off of him. The reason I'm slipping off him is because he was greased. You could see it when you looked at him. You could see he was shiny. And then Gilbert Burns went on to tell us how to do that. And I've heard of this. I've heard of this many times, which is uh, you go shower. Here's what Gilbert Burns said, that you shower for 10 minutes. You put lotion on, you let it dry. You wait an hour. You go back and you shower again for 10 minutes. Nice and hot. You put lotion on. You come out. You let it dry. You go back in after an hour. And you do this four or five times. With the theory being that the lotion will soak into your skin. So then you're dry when you're checked at the check-in center. But when you get a sweat going, it comes out your pores. I've heard this. Is it true? Is it true? It doesn't make sense to me. I must tell you. That that doesn't make sense to me because you're going to warm up in the back. You're going to warm up in the back. You're going to go to the check-in center with a sweat. Nobody gets into the ring cold. So it's a very weird concept that you can somehow get past the officials, get into the get the sweat going, and then be slippery. I just don't get it. Perhaps it does happen. I hear that guys do this in grappling all the time. I hear that they will take one bath. I mean, George, the way that Gilbert laid this plan out, it's, it's a whole bunch of showers. Hot showers, meaning it opens up your pores, and then it's lotion. I had just heard, get into a bath with baby oil. Just soak in that. When you get out, you're fine. You're dry, it'll sink into your pores. When you get onto the mat, it'll come out after the check-in center. I mean, I've heard these things. But I don't know that I believe them to be true. And moreover, is it cheating? I mean, for heaven's sakes, a guy is allowed to put lotion on dry skin, isn't he? Now, he can't do it within a certain amount of time. By example, when you report to the arena, you cannot have lotion in your bag. If you take lotion out of your bag, you start putting... They could, I've never heard of it, but they could find some kind of infraction. I don't know that there is an infraction if you do it prior. I'm asking a question, though. 
I don't believe that having lotion on your body is prohibited. And if it is prohibited, there still has to be a time frame. What if I did it yesterday? Well, it's okay yesterday. Okay, but that's my point. If it's okay yesterday, then we're admitting that there's a time frame. So if I do it any time prior to reporting, and I, am I okay? I would think so. And I, I only bring that to you because you can't use the word cheating unless something's against the rules. And that, that always seems to be one where people think there's wordplay or there's a game. There's not. It has to be against the rules to qualify as cheating. Anderson Silva. First time I squared off with him was UFC 117. And Anderson would come to the ring, dry as could be, just like everybody, just like you're supposed to. They'd put Vaseline on your forehead. Anderson would get into the ring, and he would take that Vaseline, and he would put it on his body. He would put it on his body, right? So that he was, he's now greased. He's now greased, and he's done it in front of the world, and it is very clearly in the bylaws that you can't do it. So what do they do? And the guy, the commission evolved. The commission got involved in this. This got called to their attention. He had done it other times, but they called it to his attention right there. And the commission made a ruling on it. And they said, you were allowed above your eyebrows a certain amount of grease. That amount is determined by the official who's applying it. But you were allowed that. What you do with that is completely up to you. That is what they ruled. That ruling in 2009 exists today. They can put it on you. And whatever that is, you can then do whatever you want. Now, Anderson was always putting it here. That's why I never knew if he was actually doing it for a competitive advantage. The smart move, just if you want to know, if you're ever looking to cheat, you want to grease. You put the grease right in the back of your neck. Right underneath your hair, right in the back of your neck. Every fighter, every time, will grab the guy by the back of the neck. It's called a collar tie. But whether you're taking him down, you're coming to a can over situation, can opener situation, whether you're on your feet, you're doing the dirty box, whether you clinch, you move around, your hand will always come to his collar. Everybody in every fight, so that's where you put the grease. Now he pulls his hand, now you got the grease on his hand. Now you've won. As soon as you grease your opponent's hand, you've now won. It doesn't matter where he touches you now. You've effectively now tainted him. So I only bring that to you because when Anderson wiped it on his chest, and his body was never going to attack his chest, never have attacked his chest, fought him twice, never considered attacking his chest. So I also, but I must tell you, I've never known if he was doing it for a competitive advantage. If he was doing it, attempting to cheat, then we got clarification on the rule and it turned out there wasn't cheating. Or if that was just a mannerism. You know, guys do weird things. Remember Rashad used to used to rub his chest and then his teammates all started, they started rubbing their chest when they get it. was really, really weird. Guys do really, really weird things. To this day, I don't know if Anderson was trying to break a rule, but I bring that to you because Gilbert came out, he apologized to Masvidal. Masvidal spoke on him. Masvidal said, man, I've never cheated in my life. And I can tell you, at least from a ped standpoint, he's telling the truth. I have never seen Masvidal do anything dirty. I've never seen him grab fences. I've never seen him poke eyes. I've never seen, he's never put a substance in his body. And he came out, he took a fence and said, man, I've never cheated in my life. He pushed back on that word. I think that Gilbert did the right thing. He came and apologized and Gilbert said, I have no proof of this. I have no proof. This is what I thought. I have no proof. He's a great fighter. Wish I wanted to said that. Cool. Cool. I'm sure Masvidal will accept that apology and even appreciate it. I'm just asking, 
What part of it was illegal? With, with what rule? It said that he showered and he lotioned. Okay, well, that's only two things. And we know what, we know you can shower. So now we're down to one thing. We're down to one thing. Can you put lotion on prior to reporting to the venue? I've never heard this called on. I've never seen anybody check for it. I've never, I, I don't know. If he did, I don't know that that was cheating. Interesting. And I also don't know that it would work. Why? Because I take a hot shower and my pores open. Why, why if I put lotion? Why, why, would it, why would it come out later? And why when I warm up in the back, isn't that the later? Isn't it now gone? You warm up in one shirt, I mean, you change your shirt, you put a new shirt on for your walkout so, so you look uniform. I, I, I don't get it. Is this a thing? Is it, Help me. Help me to cheat. Help me to be better at cheating. Is this a thing? Is this something that actually works? Very confusing for me. John Jones, Stipe, Dana White, us, International Fight Week, July. I mean, start throwing all these buzzwords together. It seems like we've got all the dots. Let's let's connect them. I'm lost. John Jones came out. I remember where I was. I was at the NCAA tournament in Oklahoma. That was in March. So that was about March 18th. How do you like that for specifics? And John Jones comes out on March 18th and he says, hey, Stipe. Only you, me, and the UFC know the real truth. Only you, me, and the UFC know that you ducked me all through 2022, and then John even gave the dates. And they were dates that us as fans had heard rumors of. I mean, Steve Bay and John Jones headlining the December 10th card was the worst-kept secret in MMA, and John finally laid this out. So Steve Bay comes on the back of it, and I mean like an hour later. Like an hour after John had told the world that you can't trust this guy, which is blasphemy. Th those are the worst and dirtiest and most provocative words ever used against Stipe. Stipe is like off limits, right? He's a first responder. He's a true hero. He's off limits. John Jones just called his integrity into question. It's a big deal. Stipe quickly responded. And not only did he respond, you, you hear the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Stipe responds with a picture. And it was UFC-marked artwork showing a face-off, a fight poster, an announcement between of those two with a date of July, which perfectly lines up with International Fight Week. Great. Great. I guess it's done, right? We don't hear anything else from anybody else. We don't hear anything that contradicts or pushes back on the artwork that Stipe has put forward. Well, until yesterday... Dana White had gone and done Pat McAfee's show. And Dana and Pat McAfee, this is a great combination, by the way. I, I hope that Dana continues to break news in this medium because he and Pat work really well together. That's a side note. But what Dana said is, look, John Jones has gone silent. I haven't heard from him. He won his championship. He's gone. Dana said he's back in New Mexico. He's shooting guns. He's playing with German Shepherds. This is what he said. And Dana said that John had told him, let me know when this Miocic fight is done. So, and, and I probably confused you there how I told the story, but I'm confused. I'm telling you the story exactly the way it's being told, and I admit that it's confusing. It's confusing in that John said, tell me when the Miocic fight is done, but John has gone radio silent. So it must be John has gone silent, 
But before going silent, he sent a text that said, let me know when the Miocic fight is done. That, that I believe, is how we're supposed to understand this chain of events. Either way, when I tell you that I'm confused, you've got the promoter who, on Pat McAfee, made it very clear that he was very interested that this is the fight that he wants. He wants Stipe versus Jones. You have Stipe saying it's already done. You have John saying that's the one that I want to do. Why? How are we now saying we don't have a fight? That's the part where I'm lost. We've got the promoter saying yes, and we have both athletes saying yes. They all have to be in the same room when they say it? I fought 51 men. That never happened to me. They all have to be on a conference call and say it at the same... They all got to push their, their green button at the same time? I fought 51 men. It was never done that way. Stipe says he's fighting him in July. Jones says, I want to fight Stipe in July. Dana says, I want them to fight in July. We have a fight. That is how you make a fight. What am I, what, what am I missing here? What, what are these three guys talking about? We don't have a fight. We don't have a deal. I'm ducking. I'm dodging. Behind the scenes, are they not saying this? Behind the scenes, is John not actually wanting to fight in July? Behind the scenes, is Stipe not actually wanting to fight in July? Is that what we're being told here? Because that was most certainly never said. What was said is, I can't get this done. But you're the guy that's getting it done. You said that you want it. Both of these guys said that they want it. It sounds like it's done. I fought Shogun in a main event. I fought Loeta Machida at Madison Square Garden. To this day, I have never accepted a fight with either one of those guys because I have never been offered a fight. I was never offered a fight with Shogun. I was never offered a fight with Machida. Ariel Hawani broke one of those stories, and UFC Tonight broke the other one. I read it and it showed up. So what, what part of this business has changed? If we got the company, we got the date, we got the venue, we are the fans, we're at the table, and you got both athletes that have said yes multiple times. Explain to me how, with the pieces that I just gave you, how can we also say we don't have a fight? My official prediction, Max Holloway and Arnold Allen. Max is going to win this fight, guys, but it's not for any reason that you would think. Like, if you go break this down, Arnold Allen is awesome. I want to start with that. Arnold Allen is awesome. Arnold has one problem. you got to search to find him. This is a really, really good fighter. Here's the problem. Arnold doesn't believe he can beat Max, and Arnold doesn't know he's awesome. It's the reality. And awesome guys, don't. something has to happen along the way for them to get the confidence. I'll give you a great example. The night that George St. Pierre fought Matt Hughes the first time, there was not a doubt in any viewer's mind of who was better. It was George. But there was a lot of interpretation in the viewer's mind of if George was going to win. Everybody believed that George was better than Matt. Everybody. But they didn't necessarily believe that was going to translate into George beating Matt. There's other things that happen in there particularly in a situation where there's 25 minutes. That's not 25 minutes for you to go out and be better than the guy. That's just what it's presented to as the viewer. The reality, if you're the participant, you know full well, that's 25 minutes for me to screw it up. That's 25 minutes for me to present an opportunity. It's 25 minutes for me to lose focus for one split second and blow this entire exchange. And when George fought Matt, George proved everybody was right. He not only was better, he was way better, much, much better. And Matt beat him. And when they were done, George spoke about it and said, I couldn't believe I was in there with him. As many fights as I've won and all the stuff and interviews that I've done, I didn't actually believe it. When I got in, I'm looking across at Matt Hughes, the greatest fighter in the world. I'm thinking, what am I doing in a world title fight? 
Then he starts fighting. He's not only winning, he's dominating and thinks this shouldn't be happening. And so he finds, he finds a way to give his arm and give it to Matt and set the universe straight. Matt's better. He's the champion. I'm not. He won. Everything's right. And he goes back to his locker room and goes, oh my goodness, I could be champion right now. Gets a rematch. He didn't get any better. Matt didn't get any worse. He got a rematch. And George just decided not to flick it this time. He decided to go out there and let the skills match the skills and see who wins. And it was dominant. It was, it was a very easy night. He righted the wrong, left with the world championship. I bring you that example because I'm not attempting to put Arnold down at all. I'm sharing with you. He doesn't know how good he is. He is going to be intimidated going with Max. He's going to be intimidated in the main event. He's going to be intimidated with the five-round situation. It's just a reality. Now, his hands are hard enough. That he tried to land something and land it early and knock Max out. But that's that's a pretty tall bill, isn't it? I mean, Max is amongst the best boxers in our sport. As a matter of fact, when Teddy Atlas gave his opinion of the three best boxers in the sport, he had Max on that list. Do you guys remember this? It was Conor McGregor, which you'd have to say because he fought Floyd for a half hour. Max and Dustin Poirier. Those were the three. So I just bring that to you because... The idea that Max is going to get caught and get knocked out, it exists. I just think that it's a little bit smaller of an idea. And then I also have to wonder, what is Max's motivation? I coined a phrase for you guys, and I noticed a lot of you have, have taken it and used it. I appreciate that. But the phrase that I coined was just that the, number, the clearest number one contender that our sport has is Colby Covington. Any weight class and any organization, the clearest, the most obvious number one contender who's beaten the field, who's done everything he needs to do to be the guy behind the guy. Is Colby. But that is arguable. I mean, you could give a real good look at Robert Whitaker by example, who was the champion, who's beaten everybody else but the champion. And I would make that same argument for Max. Max was the champion and he's dominated everybody else. I mean, let me just give you an example. Yuri Rodriguez is the interim champion who's getting ready to fight Volkanovsky for the undisputed championship. Max beat Rodriguez. And Max has quite literally beaten everybody. He just has a hard time with the champion, and they've been in there three times. It's very difficult to see a scenario where they go in there a fourth, so what drives Max? Does Max think he can break through that glass ceiling? He can be the guy to get a fourth fight without winning any of the first three. Does he think that? Is that what drives him? And if he was to lose that one and sticks around and nothing changes for a couple of years, I mean, does he think he can get a fifth one? I'm, I'm just asking. Like the motivation of an athlete has, it's wildly relevant. And Max came out and said he was inspired by Adesanya, that Adesanya lost three times and went in there a fourth. He said that. He said that as recently as yesterday. And I appreciated that. That helps to answer my question of what is Max's headspace? What is his motivation? Where does he think he has a potential of going from here? I Sounds like he told us. Now, I don't want to come in on Max's dream. There's also right, a great way in life, and you guys will know this. You are on one of two sides of this, but you'll know it to be true. A great way in life to make it further than the competition is to hang in there longer. I know all sorts of guys that made Olympic teams. 
Uh, I know guys that have done really wonderful things in sport, and they didn't get any better from the time they were number five to number one. But the other four guys left. They couldn't hang in long enough. Their families didn't support it long enough. The sacrifice and the suffering got too much. Whatever it was, they left. And now you just got this guy. He's just standing there. He's, he's the only one left. I think that's admirable. I think it's honorable. I like that. And I, I just share for you, that's one way Max could do it, right? Volkanovski's already left once. He's now been made a deal, beat Rodriguez, and you can go back up again. Right? If he if he goes up again, are they going to interim the belt and that opens up an opportunity for Max? Is he going to relinquish the belt? And it opens up the ultimate opportunity for Max. I'm, I'm just making these suggestions that, that nothing's done. There, there's not really a ceiling put on it. There is opportunity. And when you have these guys that are hungry and they're willing to get better, I mean, this is a really big deal what Max is getting ready to do. Right? Arnold is as rough as they come, not to mention he represents the next era. You always pass the torch at some point, and it's not your choosing. Father time will get you. You will pass the torch, and that's what this is about. If Arnold wins this fight, it is very realistic that Arnold goes right into a world title fight, that he goes right into the winner of Rodriguez and Volkanovski. Very realistic. Not as realistic for Max unless Volkanovski leaves the division. So there's some moving parts here, right? Anytime you hear me saying unless or if or well, if this happens, that's opportunity. Anytime there's clarity, there's no opportunity. So it's helpful to have a guy like me that understands it's not being sure. It's helpful when you hear a guy like me fumbling and jumping in five different, well, this could happen or if this happened, well, what if this happened? Well, this is likely and this is possible. That's helpful. That is opportunity. And the question is, does Max still have the eye of the tiger? Is Max still driven? Is Max still hungry? I have never seen any evidence that he's anything other than those very things. He's got a really hard task in front of him. And skill for skill and move for move, Arnold can go with Max. Arnold understands it. Does he have the pacing? Can he weaponize pace? Arnold has never showed us that. He's also never been in a position to show us that. So that's going to be a question mark. If that is yes, it's still going to come down to the simple thing that to a degree and for a period of time, he looked up to guys like Max. And now he's got to go in there and beat him. It's a tough part of the sport. I'm not telling you Arnold isn't as good as Max, and I'm not even telling you that Arnold's not better than Max. I'm just telling you right now, come Saturday, he's not going to beat Max. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and for leaving reviews like this one from Sick Boy, which reads, never lost a round, never a bad episode. Well, thank you, Sick Boy, for the kind words, and I hope that you and everybody else come back for more of me on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. Have a great weekend, everybody. You're welcome.